This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable. Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely and control vehicle at all times. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. This week, the Clarets travel to Vicarage Road to face a returning Troy Deeney and a Watford side desperate to kickstart their season and pull themselves away from that relegation zone. It's Watford away. It's the Known and Ever podcast. It's Liam Allen from the Known and Ever podcast. I'm joined by John Flynn from Sussex, uh, Worthy Claret. John, welcome. Thank you very much. What did you think of that game overall? Well, we were very well organised. Uh, you could say doer at times. Rode our luck occasionally. But I think we worn them down. And then when the breaks came in the second half, we were pretty clinical. Did it meet your expectations? My expectation? I don't go with any expectation to watch Burnley. It's 100% hope. And today, well, it exceeded that, didn't it? Because a, a, a result away from home, I'll take a draw any, any day of the week. Yeah. And um, I was uh, give you a wry smile when you give that answer. Just, just from a personal perspective, could you see any of the goals from where we were sat? Because I struggled to catch two of the scorers at, oh, through that match. Uh, no, fortunately, uh, I'm, I'm probably half blind, but, but the guy next to me helped me out. We did just about see it, actually. And But yeah. one thing we did see, yeah. we managed to see what should have been a clear penalty to a referee who was standing about 10 yards away, and I was 100 yards away, and we couldn't understand why it wasn't like instantly given, and it nearly led to a goal for them as well. It was just ridiculous. It'll be a great talking point for this week's podcast. I'm sure Natalie will love all that. Anyway, thanks very much, John. No problem, thank you. Feedback. Cheers. Up, up all the yeah. Cheers. So I'm joined by Dan, a Watford fan. Dan... Good evening. Good evening. So what did you think of that overall? Rubbish. How does that how does that represent your performance on the pitch throughout the course of the season so far? A major use of a striker would be very helpful, but our performance is poor. There is no guts, no glory. But fair play to you guys. You did the job. I have to say, Dan, um, when we heard that Troy Deeney was coming off the bench last week and becoming a little bit fitter, I think a few fans would admit that they were a little bit worried. But 
he didn't seem to be getting the service or the uh, you know or the reception either today. When the, in the first half we played with the ball going in the box. As soon as Deeney came on, there was no service. So you, you can't expect the striker to score goals if you don't get him service. That's quite right, quite right. And one final point, what do you think of VAR and uh, how did it impact the match on this occasion? As, as an ex-referee, I hate VAR, but it's there, we've got to live with it. Do you, think it, do you think it made the right decision today? I haven't seen the VAR because that is the one thing I think is wrong with the way it works. Put it up on the screens. Let's see what they're looking at. Then you can make a proper decision about it. If not, everybody's going to go home none the wiser till match of the day. Communication in the stadium is key, right? Without a doubt. If you're going to bring something back, you've got to show the fans what you're bringing back. Putting it up there, checking VAR is is no help to nobody. Show the incident again so everybody sees what they're seeing. At least then it gives everybody a satisfaction. Just remember, years ago, we used to go to the pub to talk about the game. All we ever do now is go and talk about VAR. Absolutely. We've lost it from the fans, I'm afraid, until it's it sorted. Yeah. And I, th- I, I agree with you. I, I totally agree with you. I think it's about communication in the stadium. Let the fans that are paying the money to watch the match see what's going on and hear what's going on. Totally agree. Yeah. Dan, thank you very much. Cheers, mate. Have a good one. And you. And welcome to the No Near Never podcast. We are back for another jam-packed episode of discussion and a nice, uplifting, positive podcast following an absolutely cracking win at the weekend. I'm your host, Natalie Bromley, and joining me this week are regular panellists, Richard and Tom, both of whom were down at Watford at the weekend. Gentlemen, welcome back to the show. Good evening, Natalie. How are you? Yeah, we're grand, thanks. Tom, how are you doing? Evening, yeah, not so bad, thank you. Much better after Saturday. Yeah, I can imagine. It's, uh, it's not been that... Happy hunting ground, I don't think, for the Clarets on the road. And I don't think I'd realised until the stats came in at the weekend that we haven't won away from home since April. Now, obviously, that always feels like a slightly um, false start when you've got a two-month summer gap in the middle. But still, that's that's quite a long time since we went. Now, obviously, our last away trip out was Sheffield United, which was um, painful to say the very least. So, uh, Tom, starting with you, uh, generally speaking, what do you think it was that was different at the weekend that managed to secure that all-important first away win of the season? Uh, I think, especially when you compare it to Sheffield United, I think probably uh, bluntly you'd say the first thing that was the difference was that Watford are nowhere near as good as Sheffield United. Um, and the first half at Sheffield United, we were on the back foot. We didn't really create anything. Uh, and you'd have to say, really, it was the same first half uh, on Saturday. Uh, we were on the back foot. They think we gave Foster anything to do in the first half. The difference was Watford were set up a lot more defensively than Sheffield United. They're playing three centre-halves, but there's no overlapping. They were very deep, they were very flat. Um, they were relying on everything going through Dale Lefeu, and he's a good player, but he's not 
consistent and he's not a goal scorer. And I think he proved that with a couple of chances that he had, especially the one where Tarkovsky slips, he takes it off him, he's through and he's shot straight at Pope and it's a good save, but um, he doesn't punish us there and that's what Sheffield United did. So um, having weathered the storm in the first half, what you can say is at least we defended a lot better than we did against Sheffield United. We were a lot more solid. And then in the second half, uh, we turned up, we took our chance when it came from the, from the set piece. It wasn't defended as well as Sheffield United would defend a set piece, that's for sure. Um, and I think that was really a massive blow to Watford's confidence. It reminded me a lot of the Southampton game first day of the season. Uh, quite an even first half, or certainly a first half that where we, we didn't look like we were going to go on and win 3-0. But once we nicked that goal, uh, the heads dropped. Watford, they didn't look like they had any belief. Uh, Deeney came on and he didn't look fit. Uh, I don't think Pope had anything major to do after that. And uh, and we continued what we've done quite a lot this season, which has been ruthless with the chances that we've created. Uh, the finishing was really good. Goals came at the right times. And uh, and yeah, I think so. I think really the, the difference with, with the Sheffield United game was perhaps um, more than anything that when, the, when we weren't playing that well, when the chips were down a little bit, we dug in, we're a bit more solid, we're a bit more resolute and that gives a platform to go on and get something from the game. Yeah, Richard, one of the things that Tom mentioned there was obviously it, it wasn't, it did end up being a 3-0 game and, and it was very different to the to the Sheffield United game. But it, that wasn't necessarily the case in the first half and we, we were really out of sorts again in that first 45 minutes. When it got to half-time, were you worried at all or did, did it still feel different to the Sheffield United game in that we were still in the game and you did feel like we would be able to close something out of it? Or, or you know, were you, were you genuinely concerned at half-time? Um, well, it was definitely better than Sheffield United because we wasn't 3-0 down. Um, I was slightly concerned, but... Even though Watford had quite a lot of the ball, they didn't really create loads of chances. Uh, they got into wide positions, but on the all, I thought we defended uh, well. And the only real clear-cut chance uh, that, that they had was when Tark when, was when Tarky gave the ball away. Obviously, Delafeu hit his shot straight at Pope. And so, I, you know, we, we we didn't play well, but sometimes away from home, you've got to soak up that pressure. And I was reasonably content uh, going into our time because, you know, when we did manage to create an attack, we did we did look dangerous. You know what I've said it many times before on the podcast. Just my biggest bugbear is that in central midfield we're just not all, we're not able to keep hold of the ball and we give sloppy passes away. Um, so that, I think that contributes to us being under pressure um, sometimes. But yeah, I was reasonably happy going in at nil nil. Um, but I certainly didn't see you know that three nil scoreline coming at half time and. Like Tom mentioned, once that first goal went in, they seemed to crumble and that's a real worry for them. Yeah, I can imagine it would do. And I think a lot of the players who've done their post-match interviews this week have, have noted the similarities between our mental state at this time last year when we'd only got nine points on the board by Christmas and they could see that same... Um, it's almost like a, a, a negative mental state around the ground and that defeatist attitude and we certainly don't have that this season um Richard one of the things as well that people were saying which maybe contributed to that slightly below par performance in the first half in quite a few of the journalists have mentioned that it was um a bad tempered encounter and certainly Burnley seemed to want to um kill Dawson if you depending on what article you want to read um it didn't feel to me like it was that nasty or bad tempered a, a game certainly in the first half and do you think that's just Burnley 
sort of being the victim of some quite just general negative press at the moment? Um, for one, I know people get quite aggravated by, by the negative press, but I love it. When when we've got negative press, it means we're doing well. This time last season, there was there was none of this about Burnley getting under people's skins or you know Burnley being too dirty, Burnley being too aggressive because we were getting battered every game. So I welcome it. It means that we're doing well. I, I didn't think it was a dirty game. I've not seen the Dawson challenge back. Obviously, he went off injured, which was a a, a massive blow for them. But it didn't look like it was a min, malicious tackle at all. It just looked like it was one of those things and. Gray was the only one that i seen actually putting a malicious elbow in. It was either on me or Taki. I can't remember which one it was, but he got a yellow card for that and possibly could have been a little bit lucky just only to get that. So I thought we played hard. I thought we played aggressive. Um, you know, Taki made a cynical foul when he brought Delafeu down and got a booking. Um, but we, we wasn't dirty. I didn't think we was over-aggressive. And yeah, I, I think just the whole game, as, as the game went on, we just got under Watford's skin more and more, the players, the fans, and they was the ones who started to lose the temper in the end, not us, and they just played right into our hands, to be honest. Yeah, I think I, I'm I'm very much in camp, get upset by negative press, and I think I think there's two things, I, don't get me wrong, Richard, I, I genuinely wish I could have that attitude where I, I laugh about it and I just think, oh, it means that we're doing great stuff. I think, for me, I'm perhaps too overprotective of the club and the brand, but I think more importantly, I can see such an incredible progression in the club in the last, say, five years as to the team, from the team we were to the team we are now. And it just bothers me a lot that we don't seem to get the, the enough level of credit for what we're doing well um, and it just seems to and let's be let's be realistic here it, it's the journalists who haven't done their research it's the journalists who don't care about Burnley Football Club being in the Premier League they're a bit annoyed that they got given that gig this week and like, oh god I've got to cover Burnley and you can see it yourself you can see when you follow live commentary and, and up-to-date blogs you can tell the the that whoever's doing those blogs aren't watching the game because the updates are very generic and very vanilla. And it's just, it's just, it's, it grates on me that we don't get given the same level of respect. I don't know if that's the right word. Yeah, it is the right word. The same level of respect and the same um, positivity in the press that other clubs get. But, you know, Richard, you, you're quite right. It does, it, it is also quite a joy to see us getting on people's nerves as much as we are. Um, and Tom, one of the, uh, I guess this, negativity around us uh, well it it led Statman Dave and those of you who listen to preview show will know of Dave Roberts well he launched the uh, cry bingo on Saturday night after the game and you can see where he's coming from with this it just feels like every single time Burnley win um, unless it's a newly promoted side for example or somebody like Sheffield United or or even Norwich sometimes when they got beat uh, when we beat them sorry it just seems that we hear the same nonsense from the, the fans on Twitter they all come on and we get cries of oh they're so boring if I'd I, oh we might have got beat but I'd hate it if I have to watch that rubbish every single week and I hate Sean Dyche and we're so predictable we're so direct we're time waste from the first minute we've got dull boring football we've got niggly dirty tactics and we're everything that's wrong about football and it's just Tom it's just I can't quite make my mind up whether it's just the Jose Mourinho school of deflection away from your own um bad performance or whether there is a genuine feeling out there that people hate us well I think there is a kernel of truth to to some of it I mean um 
you know, uh, if, if you'd watched that first half on Saturday uh, and you didn't know anything else about us, you wouldn't think we were a very good team. You certainly wouldn't think we were pushing for sixth in the league. I think it's quite notable. I think, uh, as you mentioned, the majority of the teams that we play uh, do like to have a bit of a whinge when, when we do turn them over. And, and I think one exception to that was West Ham the other week. I didn't see anything like as much from the West Ham fans. And you notice that actually in the West Ham game, that's probably as well as we played. It wasn't just a case of nicking goals from corners and, and scrapping and, and, and battling. It was a comprehensive performance. We could have won that 4-5-6-9 and they couldn't have complained. So maybe the, um, you know, maybe maybe there is an argument to say we we didn't perform that well against Watford and, and that's why there might be a, a little bit of frustration on their part. Do we time waste? Yeah, we do. Uh, I, I don't think we're quite as bad for it as, as is made out. Um, but there have been games where, we, I mean, Tottenham away last season, the one where Ericsson scored in the 93rd minute, we were horrendous in that game in terms of time wasting. And, yeah, it, you know, Tottenham have got a bigger budget and, and we're, we're not expected to go there and play the way they want us to play in order to get the best result. But at the same time, uh, you know, if a team came to the turf and, and played like that against us, we'd, we'd all be gnashing about it. And justifiably so, because it's not great to watch from a neutral standpoint. It's frustrating to watch if you're a home fan your team is, is not winning. Um, perhaps that's part of what feeds into it as well, though. I mean, like Watford, obviously got the first win of the season the other week that I've been expecting you know right we can kick on now We've only, it's only Burnley at home this is a winnable game I've seen the first half displaying which we have come out and, and been quite negative I wouldn't say we've time wasted that much or slowed the game down that much but we've not looked like scoring against them um, and now we'll be coming for the second half thinking we can kick on here uh, and we can get another much needed three points and then you know in the second half we've steamrolled them so you can you can understand the frustration in the in the home end there and obviously a lot of that came out not just on their own team but but on us as well um so i don't think that we're you know we're completely blameless i don't think that we play a style of football that's great for the neutral to watch um necessarily but it doesn't bother me one bit i had a fantastic day on saturday really enjoyed the uh the second half performance really enjoyed the three goals and the three points we sat seventh in the league at the minute which is fantastic um i think one big positive for me in the criticism that we get for our style and that sort of thing as well is it means it's less likely that uh that another team's going to come in for sean dyche when you see a lot of um you know there's a lot of rumors about everton and west ham they're going to be changing managers soon and if you, when the name Dice is mentioned, you'll see a lot of their fan base go, oh, God, no, thanks. We've had Sam Allardyce. We don't want Sean Dice. It's the same sort of football. Maybe it is and maybe it isn't. But um, if if this kind of perceived negative opinion of our style, if this perceived negative opinion of our club and our manager means that we carry on in the vein that we're going in and nobody's going to come in and disrupt it, then that's got to be a positive for me. So I probably... I'd, I'd side with Richard and I'd say, as the champ says, no one likes us, we don't care. <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> no, it's it's interesting to hear you say that. Like I say, I think I'm um, perhaps a little too sensitive about Burnley and I do take offence quite a lot and I get very def- get very defensive. Um, Richard, Tom's quite seamlessly moved on to the next thing I wanted to talk about, actually, about this. And this is this managerial 
merry-go-round I think that we're going to see if you look at some of the teams in the Premier League at the moment there is going to be an almighty shift around of of managers in the next well between now and Christmas and there's a lot of of managers that are under a lot of pressure um silver uh we suspect is going to be well I think it's it's going to either be silver or Pellegrini that goes first isn't it um and I'm not particularly worried about um so um Dutch going to Everton um, I think they've possibly burned their bridges there to start off with. But also, secondly, as, as Tom rightly said, I can't imagine the fans would be too thrilled um, with the thought of Sean Dyche going to manage them. They've got huge designs. I think they'll go into Europe for a big name manager. Um, but there are some there are some talk about some managers who might be put in. Eddie Howe's always been um, touted around to be uh, replacing one of those. Given that we're probably not worried about Everton, Richard, are there any teams, I guess, in the Premier League who you would be worried about? I'll I tell you, I'll kick this off. I'm worried about the West Ham job. If Pellegrini goes, I think that is a side that could come in for Dyche, and I think he could go there. Do you, A, agree, or B, is there any other teams that you would be worried about? Can I just throw a question back on you, Natalie, and say, are you not worried about Everton because you don't think they'll come for him or because you don't think Dyche will go there? Um. A bit of both, but I think heavily weighted towards I don't think Everton will come in for him. Um, I'd say probably 80% I don't think Everton would do that. I think they'll look for... um, I think they'll look for somebody who's won trophies. I think if you're if you've got aims to push into the top six, I think you're going to be looking for a manager who's got a proven track record either in Europe or um, in cup competitions, both of which, as we know, Dutch isn't particularly strong in. Um, and I think they'll be looking for uh, some big name signing that they can get some positivity back around the club. And I just don't think Dutch will do it. Um, that said, if they came in for him, I, I, I just there's a small amount of me that just doesn't think he'd go after what happened last time. I think I, I don't think Everton would come in for him, but I think he'd go to Everton if they did come into him. It pains me to say it. Oh, really? That's interesting. It pains me to say it because they're not my favourite club in the world, but Everton are a massive, massive club. Um, you know, still, and I think that would be a really big draw for Dice to take. And I think behind the scenes, he'd have more scope to do similar to what he does in Burnley, in terms of like he would be running the club. I, and I'm the opposite to I just can't see the West Ham one. Um, I just don't see why you would go there. There's a lot of issues behind the scenes. Um, you know, you've got Gordon Sullivan there. He'll try and, you know, put the two pennies worth in. And I just don't think it's the type of job that Dice would like to take. I, I just look at it and I think he's on a good contract at Burnley. He basically pretty much does what he wants. The club's in a good position. He's got a job for life. Why would he go and risk all that? Um unless he just generally feels like he, he just wants a new challenge. So I don't see the West Ham one happening um, at all. I, I just think he would be really daft to take that one. Um, and then the Everton job, I just don't think there's a common consensus from, you know, a lot of people who are close to me are big Everton fans and they just don't want him for whatever reason. Yeah. They just don't want him. They look at it and... Everton fans are quite snobby when it comes to the football. They talk about this people club, how they want to play and all this. And I'm like, well, you've been awful for the last few years. Do you not just want a manager who's going to get the job done? And I think Dice would be a brilliant yeah. manager at Everton with better players. He'd get them playing good football. 
and Everton fans they like high intense aggressive football like they had under David Moyes and when they can get Gunnarsson yeah. Park rocking um, so it's one of them let's just enjoy it while we've while we've got it who not you know because the- <laughs> okay let, let me throw this one let me throw this one back back at you then Richard let's Let's not worry about those two. Let's say then that we don't think that Darch will take West Ham and we don't think that Everton will come in for him. Let me throw, because I'm going to chuck a couple more uh, teams at Tom. So let me let me end with one with you. Let's assume that West Ham come in and successfully take Eddie Howe from Bournemouth. Would Bournemouth come in for Darch and, and or would Darch go to Bournemouth? I don't think, I just think no to both again. I don't think Bournemouth are any better than what we are now. And the way Bournemouth played down there, you know, they like like them a love and Bournemouth do play some nice football. I just can't see their fans after having how what their fans have said about Burnley taking to Dice at all. Um I really I really don't see that. Um I think that would the to take West Ham is a big club, but I don't think it's right behind the scenes for Dice, but to me, Bournemouth makes even more or even less sense than what the West Ham job does. Good. That, that's that's a good answer. I like that. OK, Tom, coming to you. There's two other clubs who are probably in danger of losing their managers at the moment. Southampton are really struggling. They are rooted to the to, uh, second from bottom. They've only got one point more than Watford have. Um, and they could easily... Well, Southampton fans are already starting to say that they want rid of their manager. So, Southampton, do they come in for Deitch? And does Darch go to Southampton? Yeah, I think Southampton would absolutely love to have him. Um, I think if they thought there was a possibility, then they'd be all over it. Um, but I don't think there's any realistic chance of him going to Southampton. I think what a lot of uh, our fans talk about when they worry about Darch leaving is um, the fact that he still lives in, I think he still lives in Northamptonshire um, and he commutes up here. Um, and I, I know sometimes people have said, oh, what if the Leicester job came up or the Villa job or something like that. It's a lot closer to his, his home. Obviously, that's not a consideration with Southampton. Um, the other thing is with them, um, I mean, uh, obviously for this season, the, the miles below us, I don't think they're going to they're gonna claw that gap back. I think we'll be finishing comfortably above them. So you're risking a stable Premier League job for the chance that you might be in the Championship or out of work at the end of the season. I don't think that's a, a risk that is worth him taking at this point. And then long term, what are the prospects for Southampton? A few years ago, they had a, a really good model. They, they were buying players, improving them, selling them on for massive profits. And that seems to have dried up now. Um, Hassan Hugel came in with a massive reputation. He kept them up last year. He must have been expecting to be backed in the summer. They bought him a new winger. They didn't buy him a centre-half. They didn't buy him a goalie. And look how bad they are. They're losing 9-0 at home. Um, so unless he had a massive amount of money to spend to really overhaul that squad in the summer. I think I don't think the long-term prospects are particularly good there either. So I think Southampton is, is one of a lot of clubs that you look at in the bottom two-thirds of the Premier League. Say, what, how many clubs are there in who have the potential to really kick on and, and um, get in front of the top six? Yeah, yeah obviously yeah. there was Leicester and they're proving that this year. Maybe West Ham, maybe Everton. But realistically, what are Southampton going to do? the best they could probably do is seventh in the league and he knows he can do that with us so I don't see outside of West Ham and Everton I don't see anyone really credible that he, he might want to go to for a long term prospect at the minute Yeah Richard you're nudging us you want to come in on this point 
So, just the only thing I'm going to say, and this is the last kind of thing I will say about this manager situation, the managerial situation with Dyche, is that the board have got to really start backing him now. Um, you know, there's yeah. been too many transfer windows of, uh, you know, not signing players to improve the starting eleven. Again, for me, this is another chance in January or the summer coming. We're not going to go down. I think we're going to have a really good mid-table finish. We might even get as a high as an eighth, eighth or ninth. Maybe even seventh, who knows. We didn't back him when we come into Europe. And there was a lot of noise coming out there about Dice going tight budgets, tight this, tight that. You know, when the team got worse, we really could have gone down that last season. It's about time now. And I'm, and I'm not saying go out and spend 50 million on a player and play 200 grand a week. But go and sign players to improve the starting eleven. For me, we're three players. We're a right-back, another central midfielder and a winger, away from being a really, really, really top Premier League side. Like Not a top six, but someone who can be competing top half regularly each season. Um, so that's the only thing for me. I'm more concerned, about not, not about other clubs, but about Dice just getting generally just fed up of having a shoestring budget and the board just restricting him. And I know Dice wants a specific player, but he said before, if there was a chest here, I'd go and spend it. So the board's got to start backing him a little bit more now in January moving forwards. Hear, hear. What a blooming good summary, Richard. You're absolutely right. We got derailed a little bit then, uh, worrying about, obviously, the, the managerial merry-go-round. But you're quite right. It's it's not necessarily teams coming in for us. We've got to keep what we've got happy. And, and if what we suspect is the case, and that some of these top jobs are going to overlook Deitch at the moment because of his perceived negative play or the dull, boring football he's supposed to play, um, then we should take advantage of that and, and, and start backing him on the basis that we should be able to keep him for the next couple of years. Um, Tom, Richard's already mentioned there some of his shopping list for January. Um, one of the things I wanted just to touch on before we move away from that first half and onto the second half, coming back to the game at the weekend, was um, whether there was anybody else in the in the starting back lineup in terms of defence that you want to replace or get back up for. Um, for me, I think we've displayed a, a tendency for some defensive frailties at times. Um, I thought Ben Mee at the weekend was absolutely outstanding. He was just a rock. Um, but then on the flip side, I thought Tarky had a very up and down game. Um, there were things that he did that were phenomenally good and, and would surely take the eye of a, a, a bigger side than we are, a top six side even. Um, you know, If you're looking at, at Michael Keane, if Michael Keane can, can get a, a big money move to Everton, Tarkovsky must be able to get a move as well. Um, Richard's already mentioned it, right, but the right back position starting to look quite soft. Um, but then on the flip side, Pope I thought was spectacular um, the weekend and really for the first time this season, I thought he really owned his area and really owned the performance. So I guess, Tom, do you share those concerns defensively or, or do you think we're all right? I think what we've got is more than good enough for a decent league finish this season. Um, long term, I think right back is the position we're going to have to look at. Um, I think uh, we can probably upgrade there, especially with uh, one of the two being what is basically 34, 35 now, so he's not a long term option. Um, I like Leighton, but I think you know if we could go out and spend 10, 15 million pounds, we could get an upgrade for him. He'd be a handy backup. He'd be, uh, you know, I've, I don't think he's uh, a terrible player by any means, but that to me is in our whole starting lineup at the minute is the most obvious place to upgrade. I think if we go out and spend 10, 15 million, we're not going to get a better centre half um, than Tarkovsky or me. We're not going to get a better left back than Taylor. We're not going to get a better keeper than Pope. So 
for me, that's where I'd be looking to upgrade in the summer. But I, I, I'm not. Uh, I don't think it's uh, something that needs desperate attention. I'm more than happy with the with the squad we've got at the back at the minute. Good, good. That sounds great. I mean, obviously, I think a lot of this depends on whether or not there is a big club sniffing around for Tarkovsky in January. Albeit, I, ca- I can't see us selling him, selling any big player in halfway through the season. I think we'd, we'd hold out until the summer. Um, Okay, well, let's move on to that second half then, because this is where all the magic happened. I believe we rallied the troops and we pulled a second half performance out that saw us crush Watford in the end and come away with three goals. And um, Richard, it was our target men again, the the main boys, Wood and Barnes, who both got on the score sheet. Um, Starting with Wood's goal, um, again, well, in fact, both, both two of the three goals were from set pieces again, but... Wood again came from a, a sublime corner from Young McNeil again. Yeah, our set pieces, especially our corners in recent weeks, have been superb, including uh, the West Ham game. I think that's four goals from corner uh, from set pieces now in the last two games, and you know, depending on which side it is, them in swinging deliveries by Westwood and McNeil are causing defenses real problems, and um, especially goalkeepers like that, Roberto. Who's you know was was really poor. I think Foster's a very good goalkeeper, but he's not one who commands his box. So he really managed to to pin him down. And going back to Wood, it was just a really good predatory uh, finish. You know, wrapped his foot around it and, and he hit the target. At the start of the season, you know, let's be honest, Wood was quite poor. And then he got his and since he got his first goal, he's you know and he's been probably our one one of our real key players. And we really missed him when he was out of the team. And I thought the line superbly on Saturday and he's. I think he was only offside once as well, which is a new record for uh, for him. <laughs> and he's just improving all the time, and he's turning into a real top quality striker. Barnes still has his moments where he frustrates me, where he's more bothered about arguing with people or flinging himself to the ground instead of just concentrating on his own game. But you know, I think with Wood up front, he really is proving to be a, a very very good player, and long may and long may it continue because you know with him and Barnes up front, we have a massive goal for it. Yeah, we really are. That the physicality that they bring to that forward line is just. But they're quick as well. They're not just strong, and they're not just. Uh, they don't just hold the line very well. They are very, very quick, and they can run onto balls when you when you push it forward to them. Um, I think the thing that impressed me about Woods' goal particularly is, is his reactions. He, like you say, that the angle his body was at and the hook around it to sort of like push it almost backwards into the back of the net. Um, I didn't expect him of that size and, and to be as sharp as he was mentally and physically to be able to react that way. Um, Tom, the second one was um, our his, his strike partner, Ashley Bones. Um, we had a bit of a VAR incident, but this time it went in our favour. Now, how did you react at the ground? Did you think it was a penalty straight away? Were you not sure? And since you've watched it back, what are your thoughts on the penalty? Yeah, when I initially saw it, it looked like a nailed on penalty to me. Um, it wasn't a surprise to see Paul Tierney waving it away. Uh, probably all remember the one at Huddersfield a couple of years ago that was similarly nailed on penalty. Thankfully, there was someone there to take it out of the ref's hands this time. Um, obviously, they went down the other end, they're attacking. 
it, it would have been good if they'd scored, wouldn't it? And then he, then it just allowed the goal and pulled it back. Can I just double check? That would have happened, wouldn't it? I, I am right. I'm not being really dim when I'm talking about this because when I was looking at it, people were saying during the commentary, "Oh my god, what would have happened if it have scored?" That if if VAR rules that it is a penalty, the goal that they score gets disallowed. It, gets reversed doesn't it yeah that's right yeah so that would have been good <laughs> the icing on the cake but yeah so they're setting up to take the corner can you imagine <laughs> <laughs> and it comes up on the screen you know the checking penalty and um that, it was a little bit kind of because the ball had come in the box before and been cleared and, and uh, Deeney had hit the ball into Bardsley Bardsley went down sort of holding his face and for a split second he sort of think oh god what if they're checking for a handball um but it it really looked blatant from where I was in the away and I don't know if it was the same for everybody else but it really looked like he'd caught Barnes um, and then it comes up and, and the woman said over the Tannoy um, VAR checking penalty and I find that unless they, re- they really think that there's going to change the decision they don't always start coming over the Tannoy so at that point I start to get a little bit hopeful and then obviously does the screen sign and we're going down the other end again so yeah brilliant and having seen it back as well uh, I can't I just can't work out how he doesn't give that in, in normal time. It's quite similar to the one, um, I think it was Mane got it for Liverpool against Tottenham a few weeks ago. Um, the defender's there, he's gone to swing a leg at it and Barnes has just been clever. He's just nicked there, he's just got there, got there ahead of the defender. I don't think Barnes is, is running onto that, the intention to trap it and turn and shoot. I think he's running on there to think, if I get a touch on the ball, this bloke's going to give me a, a boot in the shin and that's exactly what happened. Um, and it, it's just a nailed-on penalty. There's, uh, I, I, yeah, as I say, I can't believe it wasn't given first time. But thankfully, uh, we've got the technology to step in. And on this occasion, it's uh, it's benefited us. And that's how it should be working, really, if the referees are missing clear and obvious things like that. And, and it's stepping in and making the right decision. Uh, like I said, I don't think you'll get any Watford fans who, who'd complain about that decision. So when that's the case, then then that's it, working as it should be. Yeah, that's true. Well, speaking of that technology, Richard, what the big emphasis coming into this weekend's game following the Premier League meeting and the review of how VAR is working so far, there was a huge push on making it a better experience for the fans in the ground and to just make things clearer and quicker. Did you feel that there was a change? Did you feel like it was maybe slicker, or did you? You know, Tom's already alluded to this that, that you you could tell what was going on. But did did it feel better when you were living through it? I just it didn't take as long. But is that just purely because it was just such a blatant penalty that you had to look at it a couple of times, and it was just an easy decision to make? Um, it, listen, it worked really well for us on Saturday. I don't know how Paul Tini didn't give it at the time. Um, because like Tom was saying, you know, from where we were sat, it just looked an absolute stonewaller. Um, so for me, yeah, it worked for us on Saturday, but it's still, I still don't like it. I'd just rather just let the game play as it is. Um, and it is kind of, for me, it is just ruining that that unpredictability and that pure excitement, um, you know, you, 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 you get in football. And I still didn't celebrate the first goal as passionately and widely as I would do pre-VAR so I'm just, I know we're going off topic here um, but yeah it, 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 it was quicker but does that mean VAR is going to be slicker in the future um, I'm not sure because to me it was such, just such an obvious penalty you, you didn't need you know a long time to look at it to make the decision yeah it's it's a really difficult one. I, I did joke about this when I was on Twitter, actually, and I was listening to the commentary um, at the weekend. It's even stopped me 
tweeting as celebration as much as it was before. And I know that this isn't the same as being in the ground. But once the goal went in, I didn't tweet straight away like my usual, yes, get in, oh my God, this is amazing. Because I was like, well, I'm just going to wait for a VAR review just to confirm that we have actually scored. And so I can see the point. It is, it is starting to... Well, that was a concern, wasn't it? It's starting to remove the spontaneity of the emotions that are attached to the game. And it's supposed to be an emotive game. It's supposed to be one that we absolutely love. Um, let's see. You know, the, the drive at the moment seems to be that we want technical excellence. So, and that seems to be superseding everything else. So who knows where this is going to go? Um, Richard, sticking with you then, um, an unlikely Target man for the third goal. Um, I thought Tarky did terrific for his third goal. Um, I thought he, I thought his first shot was great, and I thought his second, the, the rebound shot that put it in the back of the net, um, was really, really good. I was absolutely furious at one. Um, if you, if you, if you watch, I'm sure it's a Sky Sports one. If you watch back some of the highlights, whoever the commentator is on the third goal, say it is Sky says, and Tarky bundles it into the back of the net. I'm like, um, um, excuse me, what? That suggests to me that somebody has bounced off his ear, nose, elbow and gone in and he didn't really know much about it or even sort of like bummed it over the line. It was a very well-placed goal, I think. I think that commentator's doing Tarky a bit of a disservice. Um, yeah, possibly. I think you are very precious, Natalie, with um, the vocabulary that people use. I think you do take it to <laughs> There's a, a bit thing. too much. Um, I'm not bothered. I think describes it as long as it goes in. Yeah, like you said, free kick, back post. I think at that point, Watford's edge just completely dropped. It was awful defending. And I fancy myself to, to have scored on that one, to be honest. Um, but yeah, yeah, it was a good save by Foster. And the defending was that bad. He actually had, had two unmarked shots in the penalty area, never mind a header. Um, but yeah, it's great to see your centre-half scoring. I think Ben Mee should score more goals, uh, considering the quality of our delivery and how good of a header he is on the ball. But it's just a really nice um, you know, way to wrap the game up. Because, you know, still five minutes or so are left. If they get one back, it makes it a little bit nervous. So, uh, you know, you, you could really enjoy the last few minutes of the game. And after losing 3-0 away from home against Sheffield United, it was really glad in the next away game to kind of reverse that scoreline. Um, and it's all really good for our goal difference as well. So, yeah, good, good ball. Um, you know, nice finish. Absolutely rocketed it into the net. Um, Van, Van Basten-esque from uh, Tarkovsky in a really nice way to end the game. <laughs> That's the headline that I was looking for. That None of this bundled it into the back of the net. <laughs> I like it. Rich is going to be keeping me on my toes for the rest of the week. Every time I complain about a news report now, I'll be like, Natalie. Tom, finishing off that second half display then, um, there was a quick point that you wanted to mention about. And mention about um, you were a bit disappointed with um jay at one point did you want to talk us through that yeah actually before we go on to that I might be worth just mentioning the uh the shot that he had that led to the uh i think it was the corner for the penalty um he just nipped in front of the defender hooked a lovely shot over foster really unlucky that it came back off the bar um and i think that was more than watford created in the whole game just that one shot so that, uh, a bit of uh, praise for that but yeah there was a point in the second half i think it was on way or two up he's taking the ball down to the left corner, defender comes across him, gets an arm on his shoulder, but he he, he went down in a heap, Rodriguez, and it, it looked a blatant dive from where I was. Um, it, I mean, it's not had much of a bearing on the outcome. It's not 
it, it wouldn't have been a penalty or anything like that. So I've not really seen the incident back or seen it mentioned, but uh, I just thought it was quite interesting given the uh, the crusade against diving that we get so much from Dice that it didn't really get any attention in the post-match. Hopefully it's a one-off. Hopefully uh, Dice will just have a quiet word in his ear and we won't see it again, but it, uh, it, was, it was a bit disappointing for me. Yeah, it's a, it's a bit of a funny one, that one, just on the basis that, number one, I'm not sure why Jay thought he was going to get away from that, unless he thought it was going to be a lot more discreet than it actually ended up being. But obviously, like you say, just given the the warnings, and apparently um, other Premier League managers have warned Deitch to stop his crusades because, you know, he's getting himself a bad reputation. I'm quite surprised that nobody else picked up on it and started to give him a bit of bit of rubbish for it. Uh, but let's, yeah, like you say, let's let's try not to worry about that. We'll, we'll protect young Deitch and put him in a bubble and let him have his crusades by himself. Um, so before we move on, just to, to, to think about the next few games then, um, Richard, man of the match, please. There was a lot of candidates for me was... Outstanding at the central defence. I thought Taylor was brilliant again. He's been outstanding since he came into the team. But I've just got to give it to Pope. Um, I thought he made two really good saves in the first half. One from the one-on-one and then one from the free kick. And I'm just mainly giving it for just his, how he commanded his area. The amount of times when we were winning 1-0, the crosses were coming into the box. He, he came out and collected them really cleanly. And he just takes all the pressure off his defence and... Just, you know, and with his England uh, debut keeping a clean sheet, I'm going to go for Pope. Excellent. Tom, man of the match from you? Yeah, mine I've not seen mentioned much, actually. But I actually, uh, uh, well, I'd probably say second place for me. I thought he had a really solid game. But for me, it was Phil Bardsley, um, especially in the first half. I just thought he he didn't make a wrong decision. Um, he was solid and he, he really... Uh, the flow of the game was really dictated a lot by him for saying he's a right back I thought he knew when to kill it he knew when to put a foot in and he went to throw himself at it um, I thought he was really really good I was really impressed there I've not seen him get mentioned that much because he didn't do anything spectacular but I thought he was um, the most solid of the back four especially when you contrast it to some of the slips that we got from Tarkovsky and the like in the first half and the cards that they picked up as well which were a little bit needless so yeah Phil Barsley for me yeah, interesting. I've not seen much praise for Barza from this game, so I like the fact you're giving it to him. Um, I am going to go with you two silver medalists. Ben Mee was definitely the man of the hour. Um, I thought he was solid. I thought he covered for Tarkovsky well. Um, and I also just thought he was strong. I thought he... he 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 allowed Pope to be confident and command his box and, and he, he relaxed off a bit and, and just let, let Pope spread his wings a little bit. So I'm going for Ben Me. And I'm joined by Graham from Dublin, who's a staunch claret. How are you doing, Graham? All right. Very good, thank you. Yeah. Yeah. So the team news is out. We know about what's been going on all around us in the West Ham and Tottenham game. What's your opinion of the uh, the game against Watford? What's going to happen uh, and the current position that we're in? Well, I, I thought when I saw the team, I, thought, I wasn't surprised that it was the same team because it was a good performance against West Ham. And Sean, is, we know how loyal he is to his players, so he wasn't going to make many changes. So that came as no surprise. I think uh, some of the Clara supporters get carried away sometimes thinking that these are games that we can win handy 
I'm a little bit more pessimistic and I would be happy with a point. I think any away point in the Premiership is a good point, even if, it, if it's against the bottom team. I would agree with you there. In fact, in fact, my Super 6 has been, I think I'd give us 2-2, two, two, but I'm not sure that Watford are going to score 2, so I think we'll probably only score 1 anyway. So, yeah, well, I'd, even um, set, I'd settle for a 1-0, yeah. yeah. And what's your thoughts on the season so far? Do you think we're about on a par with where I should be? I think we are. I think we're always, uh, once again, I think a lot of Clara supporters get sick of people saying we're punching above our weight, but the fact is we do punch above our weight. I still think we have a lot of um, good, honest-to-goodness championship stroke, maybe bottom of the Premiership team players, and I think the Gaffer does an amazing job in getting the best out of them week in, week out. Um, so, overall, what's your opinion? What's your prediction for the season? Well, my prediction would be that we would finish, I would hope, maybe finish around uh, top 14, I would say. I don't, I don't see us challenging for Europe. I don't think we've got quite the squad to do that. I think we've too many off days, particularly away from home. I think we can be one-dimensional in a lot of games, as in the Sheffield United game, where we like just play long diagonals. I think if anything happens Chris Wood, I think we could be in trouble. But I'm hopeful that we've, we have a, a squad good enough to keep us out of the relegation zone. Thanks very much, Graham. It's no a pleasure. And I'm really, really pleased to be joined by my new friend Helga, who is from Norway, Bergen. Norway, Bergen. And Helga, I'm really intrigued. Tell me what is your connection with Burnley from a team and, and, and why you're here today? Uh, in 1958, uh, boys my age were uh, having a, um, uh, an English team to support. My older brother supported Arsenal, my cousin supported Spurs, so it was natural for me to choose Burnley. I can see that, absolutely, yes. Absolutely wonderful. I think it's fantastic that you're here today. So tell me, since that time, what is the general uh, frequency of coming to uh, the UK to watch Burnley games? Um, I, well, in... 1962, I visited a fa uh, family in Stoke, and uh, they were quite wealthy. and And uh, they uh, asked me, "Where do you want to go?" And I said very timidly, "Burnley." And my hostess said, "Whatever for? It's an ugly little town." So I never got there. Controversial. <laughs> uh, but my first visit was in 2010, mm -hmm. uh, late. Uh, Premier League season, yes. uh, very uh, miserable two games against Stoke and, and uh, Wolves. Okay, yeah, I can understand uh, that. Yeah. But I did come back uh, next season in uh, September, October. So one draw and one win. But I, I think I think it was uh, four nil against Hull in in 2010. Yeah. yeah. Um, but then my partner became ill so I couldn't come for uh, two years but when he died uh, I um, I started coming back so uh, um, in I think it must be the th uh, season 2013-14 uh, I uh, got a uh, half season ticket and since then I've had a season ticket I think that's a lovely story um, so tell me Helga 
we've seen the same news. Uh, we know where Burnley are in the league. And what is your, first of all, prediction for today's game and prediction for the season? Um, I hope for a win. Uh, uh, Watford hasn't had an impre- impressive season. Uh, Burnley played very well last game, yeah. but that's uh, two weeks ago. Yeah. Uh, so, well, I hope for a win. I, I don't predict more than uh, more than a draw. Uh, and for the season? For the season, we are not relegated. And that will do me perfectly. Yeah, but we will not get into Europe. But that will also do me perfectly because I think that made us struggle um, when we did get into Europe. But it, it was great to go to Aberdeen and uh, Piraeus. I'm very pleased to hear that you uh, did follow the scene there. And I just feel it's a shame that I didn't see you there because we were there at each of them games as well. Elga, always a pleasure, never a chore. Thank you for joining us on the No Name Ever podcast. Thank you. Okay, so moving on. Um, uh, well, we're going to have a change of personnel next game, and, I, and this is something that doesn't happen that often at, at Turf Moor. It's usually an unforced change from a resulting of an injury or a suspension, and it is indeed our first suspension of the season. Ashley Westwood picked up his fifth yellow card at Watford at the weekend and will be suspended for the home game against Palace on Saturday. So this leaves us with a dilemma um, and a lot of people out there are suggesting that it may well be time for Danny Drinkwater to come into the side he did travel down to Watford at the weekend and apparently Darch is saying that he's there or thereabouts in terms of fitness so Richard I'm going to start with you knowing full well that we have to make this change at the weekend who do you bring in and what formation do you pick I still go 4-4-2 I think we look really good playing that at the moment Listen, I, I, I thought Drinkwater was going to be a really good sign, improving top quality Premier League player, but I don't have a clue um, what fitness he's in, what his headspace is in, so I don't get how anyone can say, all right, I'd start Drinkwater. So for me, I'd like to give Hendrick a go in central midfield. I thought he's played well this season when he's played there. Still his best position rather than being on the wing. And then I'd, I'd give Brady a start. Um, you know, He's played a bit of football now. He, he, played, he started for Ireland in the game against New Zealand. So I'd keep McNeil on the left, uh, but Edric in the middle and then Brady on the right. Um, yeah, so that's what I would do. And then, you know, get Drake Water on the bench, possibly get minutes if we need him. Yeah, that certainly sounds like it. that's more of a plausible option. I just can't see any scenario where he starts drink water. I just I just can't see Dyche doing it. I don't I think he's more than likely to play the players who he knows well and can trust. I suspect we might see him as a substitute at some point. This seems to be a very good opportunity to introduce some game time for him. Um but I just can't see him starting. Tom, what's your views on this? Do you I'm gonna assume that you share our opinion that he's, he probably won't start. I think it seems obvious that we're going to put Hendrick in the middle. So do you stick with Brady on the right or do you maybe put Lennon on instead? I wouldn't mind seeing Lennon get a run out myself. I think the problem if you put Brady in is then you've got two left-footers, um, McNeil and Brady, and one of them's going to have to play on the, on the wrong wing. I don't think you want to take McNeil out of his preferred position because he's got that link with Taylor and obviously it's his shirt to lose. So uh, uh, I don't know how much you'll get out of Brady on the right-hand side, to be honest. I mean, I, I think he's better player probably overall than Lennon and I think that probably is who Dyche will pick 
But I think I'd I'd have Lennon in there, a bit of balance, a bit more pace on that side as well. Maybe something important if you need someone um, to trap back and, and keep tabs on Zahar as well. Um, and I, I do think Lennon's uh, kind of quite underrated in, in terms of his work rate. I think he does get back and, and double up on the winger. Um, and I think he does it better than Brady. So, yeah, I think for me, I'd probably have Lennon in on the right, at, at least for the first hour and see how we're going from there. Yeah, I agree. Um, I think I would prefer Brady over Lennon. Um, I just think when they've come off the bench, I think Lennon's... Um, I think Brady's been less less of an impact than, than Lennon has. I think Lennon's done quite well when he's come on. Um, so I think I would prefer Brady to start. Do you think this at any point in the game, given that this is a forced change, do you see Deitch pulling out this 4-3-3 again and putting Jay on? Or do you just think that's just not going to be an option? I don't think he'll start with a 4-3-3. I think, you know, just because of one player not playing, are you going to then all of a sudden change the whole team around the whole dynamic? Um, so I I don't see that. Um, I think Tom's got a plausible argument for Lennon in terms of he's on his foot, but I just he just I just don't really rate him. He's got a lot of pace, but he'd rather just pass the ball backwards. And he never even run, he never even uses that pace and runs at the fullback. And I think Brady's looked good when he's come on. And I think wingers nowadays they can play against the foot. I think Brady coming in trying to get a shot off, whipping the ball in on that left foot. He's, he's not blessed with pace anyway. Um, so I don't. So it, it depend. Even if he's on the left, I don't think he's one of them who's gonna try and beat his winger and get to the bar line. Um, so yeah, that like I said, that's what I would do. I wouldn't go around going, you know, going four three three from the start or playing drink water. He might not be fit. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm I'm sticking with Hendrick in the middle and Brady out wide. Yeah, I like it. It gets it gets the Bromley seal of approval. Okay, well, before we actually leave this week's episode, we do need to bear in mind that straight after the Palace game, we've got City at home on Tuesday. It has been a while since we had a Saturday Tuesday game, and you can tell it's coming up to the Christmas time where the, the games are thick and fast. Um, well, obviously, we're going to assume that that Westwood will be back in. I think it's pretty much a given that we're back in for the for the City game. Um, do, do you think that? Deitch will try and mix it up a bit, Tom, with having two games back-to-back. I know in previous seasons we've been quite used to this because we, we're you know, fresh from the Championship and it's something we're used to. But as the years, I know it sounds bizarre, but as the years go on in, in Premier League football, we do get more and more used to the number of games in the Premier League and maybe aren't as savvy at playing two games a week as we were when we were back in the Championship. So do you think now that he's got some of the squad players to do it, that Dyke will be tempted to change the team around or do you fully expect to see, with the exception of Westwood, the same team play both? I think the words change things around a bit and die shirt uh, aren't, don't usually go together. Um, so I can't see us making a massive amount of changes. And if you go through the team and look what you'd swap, you're not going to swap the centre half, you're not going to swap the keeper. McNeil's nailed on place. Um, the midfielder haven't got a lot of options to change things. So I think he'll have Westwood back in for that one. Um, out wide, it will be Hendrick, I should think. Um, I suppose the only place that you really see him chop and change a lot is the fullbacks. Um, I know, like for example, last season he brought Barsley back in for the Liverpool game. I think that was to give us a bit more solidity. But then Barsley's in the team now anyway, and he's playing well, so he's not going to get dropped. And uh, I can't see him changing the shape. Uh, I think he'll think he'll want to to have a go at them at home. I think he'll think if uh, Barnes and Wood up front is probably our best chance of having an out, but it's probably our best chance of doing any damage to them. So uh, now I'd be very surprised to see a different team than the, to the one that played Watford 
against Man City. Obviously, Westwood's going to be a force change on Saturday, but I think uh, I think Westwood will be back in and Hendrick will be back on the right and it'll be that, that same lineup. And to be fair, we're playing well, so there's, I don't think there's any massive reason to, to change it around. I think we'll be all right for just for one Tuesday game. Yeah, I think you're probably right. OK, Richard, we'll finish on you. We've got two home games coming up in the space of a week, Palace and Manchester City. Stick your neck on the line and tell us how many points you think we're going to get. Well, I think we'll the two two tough games. Palace are, always do seem to cause us real problems at Turf Moor, but we're playing well. I think they've only got one point from five, even though they've had some tough games. Uh, I'm going to say we'll beat um, Palace. I'd love us to beat City, Turf Moor, under lights. There's no better, you know. There's no better games. I love the mid- midweek games at Burnley. So I'd love us to turn it over, but we're just not very good against the big teams. So I'm going to say, my head says, you know, you know, sorry, my, my heart says that we'll get something against City, but I just really don't think we will. So I'm going to say we'll get three points from the next uh, two home games. Oh, well, that's good. Three points is better than no points. So we'll take your three points, Richard, and we'll run with that. Well, that is all we have time for this week. And we have got a lovely three points to that we've been able to analyse, putting Burnley in seventh place in the Premier League, which is just fantastic at 18 points. We've got double the points that we had at Boxing Day last year. So it's certainly been a fantastic first half to the season. Um, my thanks as ever go to Richard and Tom for joining me in the studio this week and analysing that fantastic game. Um, these are guys who give up the time for nothing just to, to produce a podcast with us and it's very much appreciated. Um, thanks as ever to producer Matt for knitting all of this together and getting it out there on the airwaves so that you can listen to it all. Thanks, Matt. Um, thanks to band Joyce for providing us with our music and thanks as ever to you the listener for downloading and listening we would not be here without you and your support is very much appreciated Um, next week's schedule is yet unknown given that we've got the Saturday and the Tuesday game we may look to do a bumper edition on Wednesday we might do two short ones but we will let you know Um, but either way we will be back this time next week I have been Natalie Bromley this has been the Known and Never podcast until next time Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximise your home ground advantage with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable. <laughs> Just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely and control vehicle at all times. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.